The neighbor do a great job with that. That's awesome. Yeah, our team. Uh, my name's Jeremy. If, if you don't know me, I'm our infrastructure pastor here, and I love the office, so I had to use every or use any option that I have to put the office in my message. I love doing that. Um, but I'm here delivering the message because Pastor Ruben and his wife Grace and their daughter Hannah are out in Chicago, and uh, Hannah's getting ready to go into college, so they're there for orientation. So keep them in prayer as they're out there and as they travel. Um, they're they're enjoying their time out there. But now I have the opportunity. I have this great honor to come and bring the message this weekend. So I'm super excited about what God's going to do uh, with this message. What He's already started doing as well. Um, before we jump into that message, though, I do have some things I want to let you know about. First is our VBS. It's happening starting tomorrow, uh, Monday, here at Thorn Creek. So if you know someone who has kids and they don't attend church, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to invite them to our VBS. It's going to happen Monday through Thursday, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. right here in the building. And it's going to be an amazing time. They're going to have lots of fun, do all kinds of crafts, and there's Bible stories, and they're going to learn about Jesus. And so this is a great way to reach those people who don't know Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you know someone with kids that doesn't go to church, invite them to our VBS. And then we're going to finish up our VBS week on Friday with a all-church barbecue. Uh, so we're going to just celebrate what God has done during VBS. So make sure you're there for that. It's 5 p.m. We're going to have food. We're going to have bounce houses and games like Nine Square and that kind of thing. We're just going to hang out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be at the park next to Eagle View Elementary. That's over there on Summit Grove Parkway. So be there for that, 5 p.m. And the last thing I want to let you know about is we're in our series called Transitions. And so we're looking this summer at all the various different kind of transitions that we may make uh, during the summertime. Sometimes, you know, we move, uh, people change jobs, uh, people graduate from school, or they're switching grades, all that kind of stuff. There's all these transitions that happen, and, and one transition that happens in life is that to marriage. And so the last weekend of our series is called our Why Not Weekend. And what we're going to do is we're going to marry people here at Thorn Creek Church. This is for people who have been maybe living together, and you've been living with your boyfriend, you've been living with your girlfriend, and you've never tied the knot, you've never, you've never made that commitment, but you want to get right with God, then this is your opportunity to do that. So I want to encourage you, if, if that's your situation and you want to get right with God, because one of the things we want to do here at Thorn Creek Church is we want to make sure that we position you um, to experience the blessings of God. And we know that if you honor God with every part of your life, your finances, your marriage, your relationships, then, then God goes before you and God's blessings will be upon you. So we want to give you this opportunity. We already have three couples signed up, which is amazing. It's amazing. Okay, there we go. All right, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. We've got three couples who've already committed that they're going to, to, to get right before God and have this marriage. So it's going to be great. And so it's not too late to sign up. If you want to be a part of this, we're going to offer premarital counseling and get you all set. It's going to be great. Uh, this whole church is going to be decorated for the wedding. We're going to have cake. It's, it's just going to be a fun time. So make sure you're a part of that. And don't miss that weekend. Be here and celebrate those people who are getting right with the Lord. Now, today's message is called Now Hiring. We're transitioning. We're talking about transitioning our jobs. And so we're going to talk a lot about jobs tonight, our work. Maybe you're here and you hate your job. Maybe you're here and you love your job. Maybe you're here and you're retired. Well, you still have work that you do. 
There's still relationships that you, you engage with. There's still struggles that you have as you do work, maybe around the house or whatever. This message is for everyone. It doesn't matter whether you're employed or maybe you are the manager of the household and, and you work in the home or you're unemployed and you're looking for work or you're a student. This message is for you because we all have work and jobs that we do. And I want you to hear this. God cares about your work life. He cares about your home life. He cares about every part of your life. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So before we jump into this message, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for being with us, God. We thank you for being here in this room, in this building, God. I pray for, for all the ministry that's happening in here and the kids and the youth next service, God, and, and later tonight, and, and God, just right here in this room, we honor you and we worship you. God, help me to preach your word. Help me to preach your message today. God, we've worked on this uh, this week, and I know you're going to do something amazing, God, and I just ask you to set me aside, and you have your way in this place, God. If you're here today and you need to hear a word from God, would you just say this prayer? God, I give you permission to speak into my heart. God, I need to hear from you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Mark Twain said, find a job you enjoy doing, and you will never have to work a day in your life. Doesn't that sound amazing? Very romantic. You know? If you enjoy it, you'll never work. It'll be all great. How many of you love your jobs? Show of hands. There we go. Yeah. Uh, you know, for those of you who said you love your jobs, uh, Nikola Jokic would probably disagree with you. The Denver Nuggets can finally call themselves NBA champions. And now you are an NBA champion, Nikola. How does that feel? It's good. It's good. The job is done. We can go home now. I'm curious what you are feeling right now and if you're looking forward to a parade coming up in Denver. When is parade? When is parade? Thursday. No. <laughs> I need to go home. Hello. <laughs> okay. Uh, we won it. But I think it's not the most important thing in the world still. Uh, there is a bunch of things that, uh, that I like, that I like to do. I mean, probably that's no, that's a normal thing, you know. Nobody likes his uh, his job, or maybe they do. They're lying. Uh, See, they're lying. If you, if you like your job, right? Every like this is. I, I love this because because Jokic, he's he's on top of the world, right? They just won the championship. He's voted the NBA Finals MVP. He is like like this is the best that he could ever be in his job, and he's just like ah, I want to go home, you know, like. Do we really have to do a parade? And, and I think we can all relate to Jokic here because no matter what you do, no matter how much you really enjoy it, there are challenges in our workplace. There are challenges that we go through. Sometimes we have to deal with the hard things. Sometimes we have the long hours. We have the, the crazy week, the exhaustion. We have overbearing bosses. We have all kinds of things that we run into. We, we may run into ethical dilemmas, or we, we have those late hours. We have people and tasks that upset you, or people and tasks that annoy you. We all have to work through these things. Now, I want to give you real quick, I, I forgot this in my notes, but disclaimer, um, every negative inference I make about bosses and jobs and stuff, this is all purely hypothetical, 
or from experiences that I had before being on staff here at Thorn Creek Church, okay? <laughs> so just because the boss is away doesn't mean I'm like, I'm, I'm dishing out the tea, right? Like, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, <laughs> no, every, every job has challenges. Every location, doesn't matter whether you work in a church or you work at an IT company or you work for a restaurant, it doesn't matter. You're going to run into issues and you're gonna be like Jokic. You're gonna be like, man, I just, I'm ready to go home. I'm tired. It is a job. You know, God has created us to work. He, he developed us to work. He, when, when Adam and Eve were made, he put them in the garden to work the garden. Now, I feel it was probably pretty easy for them because it was like perfect and there probably wasn't much for them to do, but they had to work. And God calls us to this. And even when you like your job, even if you love your job, you're going to run into these things. And there's so much that can be said about jobs and work. As we were in our creative arts meeting this week, we, uh, we were just brainstorming. We're tossing out all these ideas, and we all have like all of these past experiences that we can pull from, and we were like, this is this huge list that, that was formed, and we're like, this could be an entire series as we talk about working and we talk about our jobs. But as I prayed through this, and I, and I asked God, what do you really, wanna, really want, want me to talk about? Uh, one person kept coming to mind, and that was Joseph in the Old Testament. And Joseph has this wonderful story uh, of, 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 of heartache and challenge, um, but you see God go before him, and you see God work in and through him in really amazing ways. So if you don't know who Joseph is, let me kind of get you up to speed before we jump into the text. Joseph is the son of Jacob, and Jacob is, is, is one of the, the main patriarchs that God chose his people uh, to work through. He, he has Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. And so Jacob is, is who God is going to fulfill his covenant through. He has said, this is my people. And in fact, he actually renames Jacob to Israel. And that's how we get the Israelites. Jacob has 12 sons. And one of his sons, Joseph, is the firstborn of his wife that he really loved. Jacob had this whole kind of crazy story where he wanted to marry this woman named Rachel. And so he, he served uh, Rachel's father for seven years, and then his fa the, the father tricks him and makes him marry the older daughter, Leah. And so he has sons by Leah, and then he finally has sons by Rachel, and Joseph is that first son of Rachel whom he loved. So he had a special place in his heart for Joseph. If you've ever heard the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors, that's who we're talking about. This is the Joseph. And he had these dreams that he shared with his, with his brothers, that he said, yeah, I, I dreamed that, that here I was, and, and, and you guys all bowed down to me. And if you know anything about siblings, they probably weren't real impressed with that dream. They didn't really like Joseph. They think, oh, he, he's there, our youngest, almost our youngest brother, and he thinks he's going to rule over us. And so they, they plotted to get rid of him. They see him coming, and they're like, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And then one of the older brothers, Reuben, says, let's not kill him. Let's make sure we, we, we don't do that. But they sell him into slavery. And he ends up down in Egypt, and he gets bought by this, this, this high guard of Pharaoh named Potiphar. And as Joseph is in Potiphar's house, he's, he's a servant, he's a slave, but he does work for Potiphar. And, and Potiphar sees that God is with him, and so he kind of elevates him to this position in his household, second to Potiphar. Uh, Joseph ends up running everything in Potiphar's house. He manages all the finances. He manages the rest of the servants. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that the only thing that Potiphar said that Joseph couldn't have in his household was his wife. And Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and she thinks he's real good looking. 
And she, she starts seducing him, trying to get him to, to go to bed with her and to, to sleep with her and to have sex with her. And, she keeps, and he keeps running away. And, and Joseph has this great mentality where he goes like, like I can't do that. And he, he, says, he says, you're my, 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 my master's wife, and I couldn't do that. And I can't sin against my God. Joseph recognized that his actions weren't just against man, but they were against God. And so there gets to this one point where, where Potiphar's wife is just like, we're going to do this. And so she grabs his coat. And she says, come to bed with me. And Joseph runs away, leaves his coat, and then she accuses him. She says, that, that Hebrew, that Hebrew slave tried to rape me. And she screams. And so Potiphar throws Joseph into jail. And that's where I want to pick up in the text today in Genesis 39. It says, so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Isn't that amazing? God goes before Joseph even in the prison. And he gets elevated to this kind of same place place of like you're managing all the other prisoners and so here's Joseph working in that prison as a prisoner and I imagine it still wasn't great like yeah he's elevated but he's still a slave he's still a prisoner the the prisons in ancient Egypt were known for being very brutal Uh, most of the time you were just killed immediately if you were a criminal but if you went into prison you would be beaten Oftentimes, they would cut off their noses before they were released so that people would know that they were in prison. You were still a slave, and you would be forced into slave labor. It it was not a fun job for Joseph to be in this prison. Maybe you can relate. Maybe your job feels like a prison. (laughs) I I used to work at a place that was a data center, and it looked like a prison. I always joke as we drive by. I'm like, hey, there's the prison I used to work in. Uh, But while Joseph was in prison... There's this interesting story that happens. The, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh ends up in prison. We don't know exactly why, but they're in there. And they have these dreams, and they're confused about these dreams. And Joseph hears about it, and he says, you know, my, my God can interpret those dreams. Like, I, he, he can reveal that to me. So he, he tells them. He tells the cupbearer. He says, okay, when I, when I hear your dream, uh, in three days, Pharaoh's going to call you into his presence, and he's going he's gonna to elevate you. He's going to lift you up and put you back in your position of chief cupbearer. And the guy is ecstatic. He's like, this is amazing. And Joseph tells him, now, now when this happens, don't forget me. Like, I'm in here, and, and I want to be out of prison, and, and so don't forget me. Remember, remember that I was here. I helped you understand this and, and gave you confidence and gave you hope. Remember me. And then the chief baker, he comes along, and he says, that sounds like a really good interpretation. What's my dream like? And Joseph says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to call you, for, and he's going to elevate you. And the guy's like, yes, and he says, he's going to impale you. That's how he's going to elevate you, and he's going to kill you. <laughs> and the chief baker's like, that's not, not, that's not as good. I didn't want that one. And so we see what happens in chapter 40 of Genesis. It says, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned the chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted the dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. And there's Joseph stuck 
in prison. Overlooked, forgotten. He has to spend two more years in prison because the cupbearer just forgets about him. Doesn't even give him any credit. Doesn't even talk about him. Maybe you've experienced this. You, know, you work really hard on a project with someone else, and there's recognition, and that person starts getting the recognition, and they just happen to overlook and forget that you were part of the project. Or you've got the boss who takes credit for your great idea, and you're overlooked, and you're not seen. Or maybe it's the person who, who cranks out a bunch of product, right? Uh, after the team works to build efficiencies and systems and tools so that they can do it, and, and they're the one who gets the credit, and they don't even acknowledge that the team did anything else. I think, I think we've all experienced some sort of thing like that in our, in our workplace, in our jobs, where we just get overlooked. We get forgotten. You know, sometimes it's, it's not about credit for work, but there are other challenges that we have. We have a, a, an over-demanding boss who, who wants you to work weekends and work all these crazy hours, and, and it's just on you, and they, they choose not to hire other people. They just think, I'll just keep piling it on you. I'll keep piling on you. You'll work. We have challenges of gossip in the workplace, people talking behind your back. We have challenges of, of, of office politics. Well, make sure you invite that person. Make sure this person's on there. Make sure you talk to this person that way. We've got all these challenges that we have to work. There's lack of integrity. And I wanna, I wanna point out, as it's, it's really easy for each of us, for myself included, to look at these things, to think about these things, these challenges that we have in our workplace and go, man, it's just everybody else. Everybody else is just a problem. Right? They gossip and they, they, have, they, have, they have no integrity, they lie. But you know what? We have those temptations ourselves. We have to look in the mirror sometimes. I'll be real open and transparent with you with, with respect to integrity and lying in the workplace. I used to work for a technology company, a really large one. In, in corporate IT, and I, I managed servers, and, and I was responsible for building them out and maintaining them and making sure things that were, that were up, and sometimes there would be outages. Th things would go down. They would break, and so when that happened, we would have what's called a SWAT call. SWAT call was everybody gets on the call, doesn't matter what time of day it is, and we all get on there, and we work this problem until it's done, until it's fixed, and so there, I'm on a, I'm on a SWAT call. It's like one or two in the morning, and Things are broken, and I'm kind of, everybody's poking around, right? They're looking at things, and the network guys are looking at their things, and I'm looking at the servers. And I recognize that there's a setting that somehow got set that shouldn't be set the way it is. And that's probably what's causing the problem. So I just changed that setting. And on the call, everyone's like, hey, it's working again. Everything's up. Okay, cool. All right, what changed? Crickets. Did anybody change anything? And I just sat back. Because I didn't want to be the one to own the outage. I didn't want to say, I didn't want, to, I didn't want my team to take the hit for like, that was the problem. That's why we had an issue. Because the way that, that it was all structured was like my team could actually incur fines if we were the cause of the outage. So I just, oh, that's weird, you know, crazy. Computers are crazy, man. Sometimes they just start working. You know, and we have another call to talk about like what actually happened. And, and I stayed quiet. It was not a high moment for me. It's not something I'm proud of, but it happens. We can be fearful of maybe repercussions at work. We can be fearful of what people may say about us. We, we worry about that gossip or we worry about those office politics. And so we can fall, temptation, fall into that same temptation to lie and to not be honest with what we're doing. 
There's all kinds of these challenges. There's unfairness where people just don't, don't look, you know, there's, there's cronyism where people just enjoy, bring their friends along and promote their friends and overlook you. There's stealing of resources. And we, I'm not just talking about like fraud and you're taking things from the office, but like, like sometimes we steal time, right? Like for those of us that, that may work at home, it's really easy to just kind of like pop on Netflix and be working and then kind of be more focused on Netflix. And we're taking that time. Or we're focused on social media. I'll be open again with you. There's another time. I, it's, it's, I guess this is confession time. Uh, I used to work at a movie theater when I was a young, young kid and just out of high school. And uh, inventory at the, at the theater was very important. It was a huge thing. Like everything was counted every single day. And that's how we made our money off the concession stand. And so everything had a dollar value. Didn't matter whether it was broken or damaged or anything. Like it had a dollar value. And so we had to treat it as such. So if we had a, a small bag of popcorn that got ripped, uh, that couldn't be used, it wasn't trash. You didn't just throw it in the trash. You actually put it in this little cabinet underneath. And that was like the damage area. And that, that bag had a value of it. It was, it was $3.25 even if there was no popcorn in there. We had to make account of that. And the managers would do that at the night. And then once they, they reclaimed all that and they understood it and they tracked it, then the stuff could be thrown away. Well, one day I'm working and we have this huge rush kind of around five o'clock for our six o'clock movies. And we, we go through all kinds of things and we like go through all of our hot dogs. Our hot dogs were like one of the cool things that we had. It was a little more expensive. I think they were $4 a piece. Quarter pound hot dogs, they're really good. And so we, we ran out of them. We had this huge rush. So I'm like, well, we're going to have another rush, and I'm going to put more hot dogs on so we don't run out. It takes a while for them to heat up and all that kind of stuff. So I throw like seven hot dogs on the, on the grill, on the roller thing. And the next rush comes, and it's not a rush at all. <laughs> and so we have seven hot dogs, and it's time to close. And the manager looks at me and goes, why did you put all those hot dogs on there? And I go, I just I made a mistake. I thought we would have them. They're like, okay, well, make sure they go in the damage pile because that's what they are. Nobody can eat those, nobody can have those, they go in the damage pile. And so we're like, okay. And then me and my friend, Richard and Steven, you know, we really like hot dogs. <laughs> and so we're like, well, okay. So we put the hot dogs in buns and put them in the little carrier thing and we set them ever so gently into the damage pile on top. And then we get our popcorn that we're throwing away because we got to throw away the popcorn. We put it in a brand new trash bag. We put that brand new trash bag on top of the trash can. And then we take those hot dogs and we set them ever so gently on top of that. So it's not dirty, right? And we go out to the dumpster to throw the trash away. We're going to throw the trash away. And we, we probably looked ridiculous out there. We're scarfing down seven hot dogs out there by the trash can. <laughs> like, oh, this is great. Uh, right? And I can justify this. I could say, well, you know what? That's just going to go to waste. Someone should eat those, that kind of thing. But the rule was, no, you don't get to. And that's how they controlled you know, people from overcooking things and overmaking things so that they could eat and steal and all that kind of stuff. It, it wasn't a good thing for us to do that. We loved those hot dogs. They were great. But it was, you know, there's that temptation that we can have in our workplace to go, ah, it's okay. I can justify it. It's okay. It's not really that big of a deal. You know, it's good for me to take a break so I can watch social media for a while while I'm supposed to be working. All those kind of things. And when we, when we struggle with those things and we see other people doing those things, maybe, maybe you're the person who doesn't look at social media and you're working hard all day and you see that other person who does and it's, it becomes frustrating. It can, it can weigh on you. And you've got that overbearing boss and you're just like, why are things not fair here? And so it can lead us to want to transition. It can lead us to say, you know what? I need to leave this place. It's horrible. I, I don't like the people here. I don't like the boss here. And it can make us think, hey, we need to go on to something else. 
And I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that changing jobs is a bad thing. I totally get it. Sometimes we have a toxic environment. We have a place where there's a bad culture and it is all about backstabbing and going there. And, and, and when we work and we say, hey, I recognize this is a problem. Can we fix it? And the, and the management goes, there's no problem. I don't know what you're talking about. Then maybe that is time for you to leave. Sometimes you aren't getting paid what you're supposed to get paid. Sometimes you want to advance your career, and that's the way you do it is you move to another job. So I'm not saying that changing jobs is a bad thing in and of itself, but I do want you to know this one thing. A job change is not God's will if it pulls you away from God. The thing that we need to be aware of when we're looking at our job and what we're doing and where we're going is, am I still going to be able to have this relationship with God? Because I've seen it, guys. I have seen people change their jobs, and then they drift away from God. Maybe they have to move. They, they take a new job, and they move from our community to some other community, and they lose what they've built here, all the friends and the family, and they think it's just as easy to build a community somewhere else, and they go there, and they recognize it's not. And maybe they don't ever reconnect, and they don't ever get back to church, and now they're further away from God. And I, I look at that, and I go, was that really God's will? For you to move and, and disconnect from everybody and disconnect from him? Sometimes a promotion or a new job will, will require more hours. And so you work those more hours, and then you're tired on the weekend. You're like, I don't want to go to church. And then through the week, I don't want to go to group, and I don't want to talk to anybody. And, 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 and I don't, I'm so tired, I don't even want to read my Bible. And, and I look at that, and I go, is that God's will for you to work more hours and be far from him? Is that why he, he gave you this promotion? Is that why that promotion showed up? Oftentimes, we can have the same problems. You know, the baggage just comes with us. If, if you're in a, in a work environment and you want to leave because everybody's a jerk and you don't like anybody there and the boss is this way and you don't do anything to resolve that, you just, like, hold it all in, you grow bitter and you go grow in resentment, and you're like, well, I'm just going to change jobs. Well, guess what? There's going to be another boss, another manager that, that bothers you. There's going to be more clients, more customers that bother you. Like, if you don't work through the issues, then it's going to be the same no matter where you go because you're just someone who doesn't work through issues. And so you're going to have to keep chasing and jumping from job to job to job. These are possible dangers of changing your job, of what you need to think about. Sometimes just getting a raise does not mean that it's God's will. Just because it's more money doesn't mean that's what God wants for you. I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes God is providing for you and taking care of you and offering you this and moving before you. But sometimes that, that bigger pay comes with all these other caveats and can pull you away from God. So be careful when you're looking at changing jobs. Make sure you're seeking God's will in what you're doing. So what do we know? We know that there will always be challenges in our work. doesn't matter where you are, where you work, there will be challenges. We know that leaving is not always the solution, and we know that it's not always other people that are the problem. Sometimes it's us. So what do we do? I think the first thing I want you to know is this. Don't compartmentalize your life. When we think about all of our challenges at work, all of our things that we've got to do, our interactions with other people, we don't compartmentalize our life. We don't look at it as our, our work life, and I can act this way here because I need to get up the corporate ladder, and it's okay if I lie once in a while, and it's okay if I backstab here and there. And then I go to church, and I'm really good, and I don't lie at all. And look at me, and I'm, I'm in my seat that I'm always in every single week. God doesn't, God doesn't find any of that good. 
That doesn't honor him. That doesn't please him. And then we go over here and we go like, well, here's my home life. And over at my home life, I can have a little bit of an attitude. And it's okay if I have a temper because the kids get on my nerves quite a bit. And so it's okay if I yell at them and I scream. But then I'm going to go over here to my friends and, and I don't act like that at all. And oh, yeah, our family's perfect and I don't have any issue. Like, that's not God's plan for you at all. God doesn't want to see you compartmentalize your life because that's what we can do oftentimes when we're talking about our work situations and the things that we're doing. We can say, well, I just need to be this way here and this way here, and God's going to bless all of it. That's not the case at all. Jesus calls us to the same life regardless of where we are. Check it out in Ephesians. It says this, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Are your words an encouragement to people? Are you building people up? Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Notice Paul doesn't say like the way you live at work or the way you live at home or the way you live with your friends or the way you live when you're by yourself. It's just the way you live. It's all-inclusive. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So we get rid of all of these things, the anger, the, the malice, the, the resentment. We work through issues, and, and we, we have a tender heart. Like, if you want to have a really good work experience, if when you go to work, you want to enjoy it, then have a tender heart. Be kind to others. Forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. Paul didn't want any kind of designation between how we lived or what part of our life we were in. It's all inclusive, every single part of it. I was looking and, and researching, and I found this uh, article. It was an interview with John Piper, and he was talking about the, the question was, how do you glorify God in work? And so he gave these nine things, and I thought they were just really good, so I want to share them with you. Uh, they won't be up on the screen, so you may want to take notes. They're really good. There's, there's nine things he said. First is dependence. Go to work utterly dependent on God. Without him, you can't breathe, move, think, feel, or talk, not to mention be spiritually influential. So get up and depend on God as you go to work. The next thing is to have integrity. Be absolutely and meticulously honest and trustworthy on the job. Be on time. Give a full day's work. More people rob employers by being slackers than by taking money out of petty cash. Be a person of integrity. Skill. Get good at what you do. God gave you gifts and talents. Grow in those. Be a good employee. Grow in your skill and get better. That's how we can honor God and glorify God in our work. Corporate shaping. This one's a cool one. You have influence and opportunity. Shape the ethos of the workplace so that the structures and policies and expectations and aims move toward in accordance with Christ. You have influence in your workplace. You can speak life into it. The next one is very similar, impact. You can have impact in your workplace. Aim to help your company have an impact that is life-enhancing without being soul-destroying. Be, be okay with standing up and going like, is that really the best move for us? Does that help everybody? Or does it only help the shareholders? Or does it only help the, the, the owner who's getting all the money? Like, are we, are we building life? You can have an impact. 
Communication. Workplaces are webs of relationships, and relationships are possible through communication. Weave your Christian worldview into the normal communications of life. Don't hide your light under a basket. Talk with people and share what Jesus has done in your life and, and, and look at it from a, a, through the lens of God. Love. If you want to glorify God in your work, love. Serve others. Be the one who volunteers first to go get the pizza, to drive the van, to organize the picnic, whatever it is. Be, be intentional about talking with your coworkers. As you talk about what happened over the weekend, don't just focus in on all the fun things that somebody did and we went to the lake, but like when there's a heavy burden, care for them. Pray for them. Ask them, can I, can I help you in any way as you're going through this? If you want to glorify God in your job, then look at your money. Work is where you make your money, and it's all God's. It's not yours. You're a trustee. Turn your earning into the overflow of generosity and how you steward God's money. And the last one is thanks. Always thank, give thanks to God for life and health and work in Jesus. If you want to glorify God in your work, be thankful. Have gratitude in your heart. These are the ways that we can, we can honor God in what we do. Communication is huge. If you have an issue with someone, do, do what it says in Matthew 18 and go to that person and talk through that issue. Hey, it really hurt me when you said this and you work through those. If you don't do that, then you build up the resentment. You build up the bitterness. You build up the anger against that person. Then you don't want to work with that person. You don't even want to be around that person. Then you start trying to think about ways that you can have revenge on that person or, or anything like that. And you don't want that in your life. Like that's a miserable workplace. So if you want to have a, a, a good experience in work, then make sure you're communicating. Be part of the solutions, not the gossip. Stand up for what's right and what's just. We face ethical and moral dilemmas at work. Sometimes you may have the boss that says, you know, it's okay to fudge the number. Just, just make it even out. It's okay. Stand up for what's right. Micah 6.8 tells us that, that we're to, to, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. So do that in your workplace. Remember to, take, to not take things personally. This is a big one because this really focuses on our identity, right? Your identity is not found in what you do. Your identity is not found in your title at work. Your identity is not found in your career. See, the, the challenge is we live in a culture where oftentimes one of the first things that we ask someone when we meet them is like, hey, what do you do? Where do you work? And we kind of ascribe that to the person. Like, oh, you're a mechanic. You're an engineer. You're a dishwasher. You're a waitress. You're a pastor. But that's not who that person is. That's just what they are doing. And it can also lead us to this place where, you know, we kind of make assumptions. Oh, you're a waitress. Well, you probably make this kind of money. You probably live in this kind of house. You're probably not, you probably don't have the capacity for leadership. Like, we can, we can make those assumptions. We can judge people just based off what they do. It's horrible. We shouldn't do it. But we, we can fall into those traps. And that's our culture. But none of us are what we do. We are so much more than that. You're a whole person. You have a soul. You have a God who loves you. A God who wants to have relationship with you. A God who sees you as his child. A God who said, you know what? You're lost in your sins. And you're far from me, but I'm not okay with that. So I'm going to send my one and only son down to live the life that you couldn't ever live. And I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice him. He's going to die for you because I love you so much. 
because you are my child. And through the, the death and, and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are, we are cleansed of our sins. As we put our faith in Jesus, we no longer have to pay for that. We are justified in God's eyes and we become the righteousness of God. You're not a waiter. You're the righteousness of God. You're not an engineer. You are a child of God. You are a loved one by the creator of this universe, the one who breathes stars into existence, knows you by name. That's who you are. You're not what you do. It's a challenge because I've seen, I've seen it with pastors. Pastors struggle with this a lot. They'll, they'll pastor their whole life. They have this huge career and they minister to people and God uses them and it's beautiful. And then they get to the end and they retire and they find that their identity was being a pastor. And so they retire and they feel empty because they're not pastoring anymore. And they feel broken and they feel useless because they don't recognize their identity is not being a pastor. Their identity is being with God, being a child of God, being in a relationship with Jesus. Your career is not the end-all be-all. There's a good chance in heaven you won't be doing that. So focus on the thing that's important. We'll be with Jesus. Let's focus on that relationship. You are called to a life of righteousness. Check out these verses. Just pointed out, John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's who you are. You're not what you do. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Hear this. Don't confuse what you do for who you are. Don't confuse that. You are so much more than what you do at work. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are a new person, a new creation, a child of God. You're not what you do. And hear this as well. Your relationship with Jesus will affect your career. This is actually the blessing of having Jesus in your corner, being with him and watch, walking with him, is that God will go before us. He will establish our works. That's what it says in Psalm 90. It says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 128 you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. As you walk with Jesus, you will experience the blessings of God. You will be strengthened by God. You will be encouraged by God. You will be edified by God. And he will get you through the difficult meetings, the challenging client, the rude customers, the, the, the backstabbing coworkers. He can take you through all of those, and he will go before you. And his favor will go before you. Your relationship with Jesus affects everything, everything, including your career. God will use you wherever you are. I want you to hear that as well. Let's, let's go back to Joseph. And as I, as I look at Joseph and I recognize all the things that he went through, he was sold into slavery, goes into Egypt, is a slave in Potiphar's house, and then God goes before him and he's lifted up, and then he's accused of rape, and he's thrown into prison, 
and, and then God lifts him up again, and then he's forgotten and overlooked, and then God brings him back out, and, and he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh raises him up to like second, like vice president of Egypt, and he's like the governor, and there's, there's no one above him other than Pharaoh, and God goes before him and all these things, and then his brothers come down to Egypt because there's a famine, and he recognizes them, and he, and he, and he plays this whole game with them for a while, and then, and then they recognize who he is. He reveals himself to them, and they're scared. And this is what Joseph says in uh, chapter 45, verse 5. It says, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph recognizes that the places that he's at, the, his jobs, if you will, where he's located, and all of the angst that he went through, all of the challenges, and all the struggles, God has used. Not that God wanted him to go through those, or that, that it was intentional that God put him through this, this, this bad thing, but God used it. In fact, he recognizes that it wasn't even their plan in the first place. It was God's plan to save them through this. Verse 6, this, six, this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing or harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many saviors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. See, Joseph recognized that God was moving in all those times. And it didn't matter where he was at, what his job was, what role he was in, what kind of uh, environment he was in. He knew that God could and would use him. And, and I love this. The Lord was just with Joseph. No matter if he was in prison or he was a slave, God was with him. And God used Joseph to save his people from famine and death. And so Joseph's family moves to Egypt and, and they, they, they grow and they become the Israelites, the Hebrews that we read in Exodus and through the rest of the Old Testament. And God saves them because Joseph was focused on what God wanted to do. No matter where he was, I want you to hear this. True fulfillment is found in serving God no matter where you are. No matter where you are. Yes, sometimes we need to change that job. We're in a very toxic environment or things aren't working or whatever that is. Sometimes that happens. But sometimes we just need to be where we are and know that God can move and God can use us. If you want to find fulfillment, maybe you're in a, in a position, you're in a job, you're in a location where you just you see no purpose. God can use it. God can use you. One person that came to mind as I was talk, uh, thinking through this this week and praying through this was Brother Lawrence. I don't know if you've ever heard of Brother Lawrence. There's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's, it's some, some writings of his and of another guy who interviewed him. And Brother Lawrence was this monk. He lived in a monastery. And he tried to live this very humble life. And, and his goal, as he grew in his faith with Jesus, was to just be with God all the time. Like, that was his goal. He, he, he set his goal on, like, you know what? I'm always going to be talking to God. And if he, if he had a moment where he had to just, you know, get away from it, he would just go immediately back to it. But it, it took a while for him to get there. But he, he, he embraced this lifestyle of being with God no matter what he was doing, even if it was things that he didn't like doing. I want to read you this excerpt. 
It says things went the same way in the kitchen of the monastery where he worked. Although he once had a great dislike for kitchen work, he developed quite a facility for doing it over the 15 years he was there. He attributed this to his doing everything for the love of God, asking as often as possible for grace to do his work. He said that he was presently in the shoe repair shop and that he liked it very much. He would, however, be willing to work anywhere, always rejoicing at being able to do little things for the love of God. Here's the, here's the reality. There's an eternal opportunity wherever you are. Whatever your job is, there is an eternal opportunity. What do I mean by that? I, I, I worked for this technology firm and, and as, I, as, I, as I was following Jesus and I recognized a call on my life and I, I came on here at Thorn Creek as, as part-time and I worked full-time there and, and it, was, it was good. And, and as, as God was continuing to stir and move and go before me, there was, just, there was more and more where I was like, I need, to, I need to get away from that. I wanna be at the church. I wanna be working full-time here. And, and I felt that there was like no purpose there. I would get on a SWAT call and I'd have a really horrible attitude because I was like, who cares if your website's down? There's people who are going to help. That's what I thought. I'm like nobody, can, nobody needs to pay their bill right now. Like we need, I, I wanna be at the church. I wanna be ministering to people. There's no eternal value here. That's what I thought. I shared this with the staff. We had a leadership development thing this week and I was just like, like I was like, I don't think there's, gonna, you know, there's not gonna probably be any websites in heaven. I don't think that's important anymore. And that's where I was at, but God really checked me in that. He said, no, I have eternal purposes everywhere you are. One day I'm sitting in my cubicle and I, we finished a call and you know, just kind of normal work. And we used instant messenger to talk to each other, all of our, our coworkers and that kind of thing. And this lady I worked with, I worked with her for quite a while and she just sends me this quick message. She's like, Jeremy, why are you always so happy? How are you able to like, like this job is horrible. You know, <laughs> like none of us like it. Everything's always broken. You know, we're always fixing problems and it's, it can weigh on you. And she's like, you're just always happy. And it was at that moment, the Holy Spirit just like, here it is. And so I, I knew she wasn't a follower of Christ. I knew she wasn't. And, and so I was like, I was a little hesitant. And I, I typed back and I said, do you really want to know? I kind of gave her the out. Do you really want to know why I'm so happy? And she said, yeah, I really do. I said, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done in my life. It's because of Jesus and how he saved me and how he's, how he's pulled me up out of the muck and, and I'm sober now and I don't, I don't do the things that I used to do and I, I walk with him and I, I get to experience his love and his blessings and, and it's because of Jesus. And I wish it would have been, she would have been like, yeah, amen, but she was like, oh, well, good for you. <laughs> kind of discouraging at that point. But you know what? I was put in a place and God used me. And I don't know how God's gonna use that story. Just like God worked through Joseph, it took a long time. I mean, there was like over 15, 30 years that he's there and God's moving and moving and moving and moving. And I don't know, but I would love to be in heaven someday. And I see this woman and, and she goes, yeah, you know that time you told me it was Jesus? And I said, it was uh, that good for you? Like that was a seed. God could use that. God could use that. As I was getting ready to transition out of this IT company, all these people, they're like, you're gonna go, you're gonna go be a pastor? And I was like, yeah, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be awesome. And they're all, I mean, they're, they're just thinking worldly thoughts and there's nothing, I mean, I get it. Like, and they're like, well, aren't, aren't you gonna probably take a pay cut? I was like, yeah, probably about half. And they're like, you're gonna go, you're like, you're gonna leave this to go to that? And I said, yeah. 
because that's how God, that's how good God is. I'm like, God's going to take care of me. I'm not worried about that. Like all the money is his. I got to, I got to witness to them. God used me in eternal ways for his purposes in a place that I wasn't really excited about being. And that's the thing. God can use you in those ways. Check out what Paul uh, tells the church in Ephesus. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. See, it's a heart issue. Paul's telling like, like, like when you serve, don't serve just to please man, but, but do it for the Lord out of a sincere heart. Hear this, your work is not about the work, it's about your heart doing the work. Your work is not about your work, it's about your heart in doing the work. That's what God cares about. God cares about your heart in how you work. There's not going to be any websites in heaven. I'm going to be out of a job, right? There's no, <laughs> there's no work. Like, that doesn't matter. But, but my heart in doing the work, that's what matters to God. Like, he wants to see the joyful heart, the, the one that's thankful, that says, you know what? I have a job. I may not like everybody, and I may struggle with some of those relationships, but I'm willing to work on it. I'm willing to be here because, you know what? I, God has gone before. God is providing for me through this. It's not about your work, it's about your heart and doing the work. Paul tells the Colossians almost the exact same thing. Colossians 3, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This word that gets translated into slaves, bond servants, it's called it's, it's doulos in the Greek, it's doulos. And it gets translated bond servant, servant, slave, and it means one who is subservient, subservient to and entirely at the disposal of his master, a slave slave. And, and Paul says, you know, he's talking to slaves, and it, it, he, doesn't, he doesn't condone slavery. He doesn't condemn it either. It's a tension in the Bible we have to deal with. There's a culture that's going on there where, where they had slaves, and I just want you to hear this, slavery is not okay. Nowhere are we saying that, yeah, people should be property. But we take this and we look at it and we say slaves and masters are employees and employers. We, and we do all that we do for the Lord. And then Paul says, be a slave, be a doulos of Christ. Be a slave to righteousness. Be a slave to what God has called you to be. Be subservient to your master, God. Do you have a servant's heart when you go into work? Or are you solely focused on what you need to get done and get out of there? Do you want to please God with what you do at work? Or are you only looking to do the bare minimum and get out? 
as quick as you can. Here's the bottom line for today. If you want to love your job, do it for the Lord. Don't do it for man. See Jesus as your CEO. If you want to love your job, if you want to find fulfillment in whatever you do, no matter where you're at, whatever that job is, then do it for the Lord. Don't think you're doing it for the shareholders or you're doing it for the owner or for someone else. You're doing it for the Lord. In everything that you do, do it for the Lord. That's how we find fulfillment in our life. Maybe you're thinking of transitioning. Maybe you're in this place where you've got a lousy workplace environment and just frustrated and you don't feel like you can go anywhere, you can't do anything, and you recognize that, that it's time to go, then, then if that's the case and you're seeking the Lord's will in that, then do that. Maybe you recognize today that, like, hey, there's some changes I need to make in my workplace. Like, I'm, I'm the person who doesn't have integrity. I'm the person who's gossiping. I'm, I'm the overbearing boss. I'm the one who's not, who's not treating my, my employees well. Whatever you do, in all that you do. The question for you is, what does God have for you to do where you are right now? That's what I want to ask you. What does God have for you to do right where you are? Maybe you shouldn't leave that job. Seek the Lord in that. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should stay right where you are because God has an eternal purpose for you. Maybe God has someone that you need to speak life into. What does God have for you to do right where you are. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Here's the takeaway. Here's what you're going to do. I want to encourage you to do this. Every day this week, before you walk into the office or you walk into work, you're sitting in the car, or maybe even before you're at home, just say a prayer and invite Jesus to work with you. Have that attitude of Brother Lawrence where like, I just want God with me all the time and we're just going to do this together. You're no longer working solo. Jesus is right there with you. And ask him for the strength to get through the things that are difficult. Ask him for the, for the energy to do the things because you're exhausted. Ask him for the, for the loving heart because you want to love others. Ask him to move in you in mighty ways. And then ask him to, to help you be aware of those eternal purpose moments. Those moments where you get to say, it's because of Jesus. You get to talk to someone about how their life is going, about how God is moving in your life. And they may think you're crazy, and that's okay, because you're going to be obedient and faithful to what God has called you to. Why should you do this? Why should you do this? You'd be like, ah, you know, I don't really need to say that prayer. It's okay. If you don't do it, there's the potential you miss out on the blessings of God, the favor of God going before you. You, you struggle through the day because you're not doing it. But if you do it, just like David said in the Psalms, better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. You get to spend your day with Jesus. Like, how could that be a bad work day? You spent your whole day with the Lord. That's why we do it. We ask him into every part of our life, not just here at church, not just at group, but every part. That's all I got. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for loving us and calling us your children, calling us into adoption. Maybe you're here today and your first step is just to put your faith in Jesus, that you recognize that you've been walking far from God. You 
recognize you're a sinner and you just need to be close to God. You want to be close to God. And all you have to do is just say this prayer, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for my sins. I need your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, come into my life, live inside me and start transforming me and changing me. Free me from addiction, free me from depression, free me from anxiety. Free me from all the struggles that I have, God. Walk with me and carry me through those. My life belongs to you. I give it to you right now. I love you, Lord. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you recognize you need to change your attitude at work. You need to change how you're working. You've been working for, for people and now you need to work for the Lord. Just say this prayer, God. Help me. Be with me every day at work. Let me, let me foster that communication, that relationship with you where, where we're just working together all the time and I get to experience you. And God, would you use me for your eternal purposes, your plans, your will. God, I'm open to whatever you want. Use me right where I am. Give me strength. Give me love. Give me patience. Give me peace in my heart about where you have me. God, thank you so much for what you're doing here. Thank you for what you've done already and what you're going to do in the future at Thorn Creek. God, I want to lift up our, our, our givers, those who, who honor you with their giving. God, would you go before them? Would you bless them? Would you multiply their resources? Would you continue to provide for them, continue to take care of them as they honor you with, with every aspect of their life? God, would you multiply their giving and, and continue to go before Thorn Creek and take care of us, God? God, we give all glory to you, all praise to you, all honor to you, God. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.